0: Let's pray together. Loving God, we come into this place to hear from you, to hear your words speak deeply into our hearts and into our souls so that we don't remain here the same as we did when we came in. So, loving God, change our hearts, draw us closer in love with you. And so may the words that are spoken be words that draw us closer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Lex Luthor is the supervillain in the Superman uh, movies, comics, TV shows, all those kind of things. And there are various backstories that you can read about how Lex Luthor becomes the super villain. Um, one of the backstories is that, um, uh, that, that uh, Lex Luthor and Clark Kent, who become Superman, start out as friends. And over the course of a number of years, they become, uh, become enemies. Um, it seems that, um, that uh, the, one of the backstories Lex looked at, um, uh, crashes into Clark Kent by accident and drives a car off, um, off a bridge and Clark saves him. And as the, as the story unfolds, Lex becomes more and more curious about this uh, Clark Kent and more and more curious about what it is that is going on. And his curiosity leads to um, the destruction of their friendship. Because it seems that Lex Luthor always wanted power and fame, and he wanted to be the most powerful person. But he eventually, when he finds out that Clark Kent, his friend, is Superman and therefore is more powerful than him, then he can't take it. He vows to destroy him. And so, as Superman is unmasked as Clark Kent, Lex Luthor can't accept the truth of that situation In one pivotal scene in one of these stories, Lex confronts Clark Kent knowing that he's Superman, and he says, uh, uh, Superman uh, says, um, I'm not your enemy, Lex. I've never done anything to hurt you. Uh, But Lex is not interested in that. He's only interested in what he could get out of the situation between Superman and himself. And he says, with everything you had, with everything you could do, did you ever think what we could have accomplished together? And, of course, that, um, that accomplishing something together was, uh, wasn't going to be something good uh, for Lex Luthor. He was clearly wanting to take over um, some kind of evil uh, thing. I don't quite know why I'm buzzing the place. I'll try and uh, move this a wee bit and see if that helps. It seems that Lex is only out for himself. He wants Superman's power for himself. And so he wants to be the one who controls it. We are currently working through a series, um, in, uh, or we're working through the, the, um, uh, the church season called Epiphany. Epiphany is really the season that is set up to reveal who Jesus is. We've, of course, had the birth of Jesus With um, uh, 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 over Christmas, and then um, as we get to know more and more about Jesus over Epiphany, we have more and more revealed, and more and more of Jesus becomes revealed as the weeks go on. We started off learning a little bit about this kind of mysterious figure called the Messiah, and we've seen some of those powers, and we've seen some of this stuff that Jesus has talked about. And last week, Peter talked about Jesus. Uh, kind of Jesus' manifesto. There was a sort. Of, there was a bit of hope and expectation in what Peter was talking about. But Jesus was um, was, was talking about about bringing peace, um, about bringing, uh, uh, bringing kind of wholeness to the world. And so, as we go through Epiphany, we unmask more and more about who Jesus is. And we find, as Peter said at the start, that as Jesus becomes more and more unmasked, as we find out more and more about Jesus, the people around him react in all sorts of different ways. And what we find out today, which is a story that leads on directly from what it was that Peter was talking about last week, the, the, these, these two bits that we're going to read were back-to-back back in the Bible. As we, as we explore a bit more today, we found out that Jesus begins to speak a message to people that, uh, 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 that, that talks about power and privilege not going to the people that folks expect. We find that as Jesus begins to speak that the message doesn't give power to the people of his hometown and they turn on him. people hearing Jesus' message are out for themselves and they don't like it when they can't keep Jesus' power for themselves. Now, Anne is going to come up and read this story to us just now before we unpack it a bit.
1: He began by saying to them, "'Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing.' "'All spoke well of him "'and were amazed at the gracious words "'that came from his lips. "'Isn't this Joseph's son?' they asked. "'Jesus said to them, "'Surely you will quote this proverb to me. "'Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me. "'To do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but in a but to a widow in Seferapheth, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel who, with <coughs> leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. You, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Amen.
0: Thank you, Anne. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. These are the first words. These are the first public, personal words that Jesus speaks in Luke's gospel. But what is the scripture that was fulfilled in their hearing? Well, we heard it last week, but to remind you, and if you weren't here last week uh, to tell you what that is, Jesus has just read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah says this. It says, "'The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor.'" This is a message of hope. This is a message of great hope. And this is what Peter spoke about last week. Jesus is telling the people who are listening to him in the synagogue that hope is here and that that hope is fulfilled in their hearing. That hope is fulfilled by Jesus. That hope has come in Jesus. And this is brilliant news. This is great news. This is world-altering, wonderful news to the people in Israel, to the people hearing them. And who doesn't want to hear good news? Who doesn't want to hear good news? Well, if somebody came to church this morning, and somebody and said that world debt has been cancelled, that every slave in the world has been set free, that we've eradicated world hunger and poverty. Then this would be amazing news. This would be one of the best bits of news that you had ever heard. You would know that something great was happening. That there was great. Uh, that this was a great momentous occasion. And this is basically what the people hear. This is basically the, the message that is being told here. You see, Israel at that time was living under Roman occupation and had been under Roman occupation for a long time. And so for a long time, people were longing to be freed from that occupation, to be freed from their oppression. They wanted to be freed from the ruling, from the ruling powers that were looking after and controlling their cities, their towns, and their villages. And so Jesus speaks a message of hope. Jesus speaks a message of freedom to prisoners, to people who are oppressed. And these people feel that they're oppressed. And so this message of hope is great. They're filled with hope, and they're filled with expectation, and they're filled with wonder. They see this person speaking in their synagogues, and they're filled with hope that this person is finally going to release them from their captivity. He's finally going to get rid of the Romans, who they've been trying to get rid of for ages. And naturally, when somebody tells you that kind of news, you speak well of them. You speak kindly of them. And this is what Luke this biographer of Jesus records the people's reaction as. He says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then the crowd seems to make a fatal mistake. They say, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? Which could be a positive affirmation of him. This could be them saying, um, well, this is Joseph's son. That's great. We know him. We've been around him. This is somebody that that, that, that that we have a relationship with. We've seen him around and he's going to help us because he knows us. And somehow this seems to get Jesus back up. It's true that um, that Joseph is, that Jesus is Joseph's earthly son, that Joseph is Jesus' earthly father. But Jesus isn't speaking from that perspective. Jesus isn't speaking from the perspective of being Joseph's son. Jesus is speaking from the perspective of being the Messiah. He is speaking from the perspective of being the son, not of Joseph, but of God. And so his words have more authority than the people are giving them. It's not that he's one of our lads, and, and so he'll do something for us. Jesus is speaking as God. And so Jesus says this. He says, he says, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. Jesus seems to be able to speak into the crowd's feelings at this point. He seems to be able to speak into the crowd's feelings and attitudes, and he gives words to how the crowd are responding. And this makes Jesus, I think, even more angry. Because these people in Nazareth, in the synagogue in Nazareth where Jesus is speaking, these people don't get it. These people want Jesus to do here what he did in Capernaum they're basically being selfish, and they're basically being self-centered. It's like having Jesus come here and telling us about setting prisoners free, about leading people away from their captivity and from their oppression, and we say to him, aye, that's all right, but can you do those miracle-y things that you did over in Methlik? Um, and could you do that, that cool thing that you did in Inveruri? Could you do that here as well? Because we'd like to see that. It's kind of selfish. Can you do those things in Ellen, even although you've done them over there? You see, what the crowd are looking for Jesus to do is to do what they want first. And Jesus isn't proposing to do what they want. The crowd want Jesus to help them, but that's not what Jesus' message is for. Jesus' message is for everyone, not just those people in Nazareth and so he gives an example of prophets who did miracles for people who were from different countries uh, than from the country that they were in so he says truly I tell you no prophet is accepted in his home town I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. These are people that don't come from where Elijah or Elisha lived. These were miracles that were performed for people outside that country. Elijah wasn't from Sidon, and Elisha wasn't from Syria. He was doing, they were doing things outside their own region. The point that Jesus is making is that his message is wider than one small region, and his message is wider than being for one small people. It's not about what Jesus can do for the people who are living in Nazareth, like it's not about what Jesus can do just for us living here in Ellen, or Methle, or in Veruri, or Aberdeenshire as a whole. And it's not a message for us at the exclusion of other people and anyone else. Jesus' message is about changing the whole world. And actually, if the crowd had listened to what it was that Jesus had just read from Isaiah, then they would have got that. If the crowd had listened to it, truly listened to it, then they would have got that. The Isaiah passage isn't for just people in Nazareth. It isn't just for people in Nazareth looking to be freed from the Romans. It's actually freedom for everyone everyone who's oppressed in any way, everyone who is in poverty of any sort, everyone who is in captivity of any kind. You see, as we unmask more and more of who Jesus is, we find that his message, his aim, his announcement, his news for the world, his manifesto is for everyone. It's freedom for everyone. It's release for everyone who has been oppressed. It's, released, it's, re- it's a release for everyone who has been in captivity, no matter what their captivity is. So it's freedom for those who are trapped in poverty, in debt, in need. But it's also freedom for those who are trapped in loneliness, in confusion, and in emptiness. It's freedom for those who are trapped in a world that devalues their race, their skin color, or their gender. But it's also freedom for those who are trapped in guilt from past mistakes, or trapped in a cycle of hatred, revenge, or hostility. It's freedom for those for whom society would rather didn't exist. The message of Jesus is one of complete inclusion, complete inclusive freedom for everyone, those we love and those we find it more difficult to love. And this message makes the people angry because Jesus speaks of a grace that was greater and wider and more generous than the people in Nazareth wanted. They wanted the Romans defeated, but Jesus' grace extended to the Romans as well. They wanted their enemies defeated, but Jesus' grace extends to the enemies as well. And this makes the crowd angry. It makes them angry because they want their needs met first. First. It makes them angry because they want to create a Jesus. They want to create Jesus to satisfy only their wants. And this is a message that is completely countercultural. Completely countercultural to what they were going through then and completely countercultural for today. You see, we live in a world that only wants to include and help those who are palatable to us. We live in a world that only wants to help the young mum who's down on her luck, that has the blonde-haired children that makes it look good on Instagram or Facebook. We live in a world that that, that only wants to buy a fiver worth of extra shopping when we're spending £90 on our own shopping and feel like we're actually helping the poor. We live in a world that wants our clubs and our neighbors to look like us, to talk like us, and to behave like us. But the countercultural message of Jesus speaks of complete release, complete release from poverty, despair, and isolation. This is the message of Jesus. This is the kingdom or the culture of Jesus that Jesus speaks of, A culture that not only helps practically, but one that includes and loves and sees the face of those that we would rather hide away. The kingdom or the culture of Jesus speaks of, the the kingdom or culture of God that Jesus speaks about is one that sees and includes and loves the face of our enemy. The kingdom or culture of God that Jesus speaks about is the one that refuses to demonize the other, but seeks to learn what we can from everybody else. This is the message of Jesus. This is what we aspire to in this place. Martin Luther King once said, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy. Into a friend. And so as Jesus becomes more and more unmasked, his message becomes more and more countercultural and it makes the people angry. And the crowd gets so angry with him that they try to kill him. They take him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off. Now remember that this is really early in Jesus' ministry. This isn't anywhere near the cross. This is Jesus quite, uh, quite, quite at quite near the start of his ministry jesus words at this point when he's not even completely unmasked were so radical that they made the crowd want to kill him and his message does the same today on february the 23rd 1977 the reverend arch the reverend oscar romero was installed as the catholic archbishop of el salvador his appointment dismayed uh, many of his fellow priests and delighted the repressive governing regime. Romero was known as a conservative, uh, a conservative priest, and both the government and reform-minded priests thought that he would remain silent on the human rights abuses that were happening in his country at the time. Romero was soon to prove them wrong during his priesthood he has spent time with the campaneros, which were peasant farmers campeseros who were farmers that made up his congregation and his attitude to his politics changed from spending time with them he saw the ways of power and wealth were manipulated for the advantage of a small group of families and so for the poor for the poor majority this issue this um, this this brought hunger, um, children dying because their parents could no longer afford medicines, and it also led to extreme violence, including beatings, rape, murder, um, if they dared to object. Um, two weeks after he was installed, Archbishop Romero's friend Ru- uh, Julio Grande was murdered by the paramilitary. Grandi had been creating self-reliance groups among the campaneros who had seen who were challenging the status quo Romero demanded that the government investigate his murder but his demand was met with silence from this point on Romero's opposition to the state to state sanctioned injustice became increasingly vocal he used his masses his uh, his sermons his public speeches that were that were being broadcast on the radio to both pr- public and private uh, correspondents to denounce the exploitation of the poor and violence against those who oppressed the uh, those who opposed the injustice. He publicly reported injustices and called for re- for reform in the political and economic institutions, which which entrenched violence and injustice. He refused to officiate or appear at government events because he felt that would show that he was endorsing the state. And when the government refused to investigate its crimes, Romero established his own investigative tribunal to bring those crimes to light. Romero had become an outspoken advocate for justice, And so Oscar Romero got in the way. On the 24th of April, 1980, while he was celebrating Mass, he was assassinated by a gunshot. Just moments before, he had said these words. We know that every effort to improve society above all, when society is so full of injustice and sin, is an effort that God blesses, that God wants, that God demands of us. Oscar Romero, speaking words that were inspired by Jesus, angered the crowd so much that they killed him. But not the crowd of the the oppressed, of the marginalized, not the crowd that was needing to be set free from injustice perpetrated by their government, but the crowd of the corrupt government, the ones who wanted People in power to speak their words, to support their agenda, and to serve their own wants. This was the crowd that killed Oscar Romero. The crowd in Nazareth was so incensed that Jesus wasn't there to serve their own wants that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to take him to the edge of a cliff and throw him off. And this is Jesus' reaction to that. Luke writes, he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. He just walks away. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't call down fire from heaven. He doesn't ask them to be burnt up. He doesn't even condemn them this time. He doesn't act in revenge or with hatred or vengeance. Jesus walks away. He responds in nonviolence. He responds in love. Jesus' words were so radical that they made the crowd want to kill him, and eventually they did. But once again, Jesus acts in love and nonviolence. In dying on the cross, Jesus forgives. In the end of Luke's biography of Jesus, he records Jesus saying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. These are words of radical love, of radical forgiveness, and of radical freedom. So when we are faced with, lo- with the lonely, with the poverty-stricken, with the other, with the enemy, then may we hear Isaiah's words in Jesus' mouth whispering to us. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in the unfa- unmasked face of Jesus, message of countercultural, radical freedom and love. And so I pray that we act less like the crowds and more like true followers of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our loving God, we thank you that your message is one that releases all from their bondage, from their oppression. And loving God, may we be the people will show that to our world. May we be people of forgiveness, of freedom, of radical love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go out into this world to release those in captivity, to bring the good news to everyone in our community and in our world. So the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and all who you love and all those you find it more difficult to love this day and forevermore.